You know, I always love how this thing comes in like fire. Are you anticipating what's about to hit you next? Of Color Podcast. Episode 46. In this extra sexy episode of the Movement of Color Podcast, Byron and I discuss Chinese and American relationships vis-a-vis foreign policy and the Biden administration and beyond. Again, my name is Brandon Peyton Creo. I think that sexy music means we're going to be starting soon. So Byron, I hear you're going to piss a lot of people off. Yeah, it's 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 we're, we're having some geopolitical takes on this one uh, because of some well, partly because of some horrible racist attacks against Asian American Pacific Islanders um, in the U.S., um, but also because of recent kind of bumblings and grumblings uh, between the United States and China. And I always say, like, what's the beef with America and China? And when I hear not like politicians or like corporate media types, but when I hear regular lay people parroting these talking points about, oh, um, China, China's this, China's that, they're our competitor. I always want to know why. Why do we speak of China this way? And Obviously, inevitably, it takes on a racist tone eventually. But why? Why is this a thing? So, the 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 best, the kind of the easiest way to describe it would be China is kind of the new Cold War enemy. Um, it's kind of been inevitable. Um, it's if anything, it's been that this China's kind of uh, foreign policy strategy anyway to just like. You know, stay under the radar for a little while, build up the like, let let like you know, China, uh, you know, socialism with, socialism with Chinese characteristics, do its job of building up national industry and resource extraction. Um, just you know, but stay out of you know Russia's and America's way for the most part. Just try to survive, and then once you built up enough, because of the sheer number of people, and then you know, coerce it with that. The sheer number of industry will build an economy so large, build an industry, uh, 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 you know, resource extraction so efficient that, you know, you can just, you know, you can beat, you can finally beat the Americans at their own game. Um, and that's, you know, and, and, they, we're, and they've basically gotten to the point where it's like, especially after Trump and just seeing Amer- like, you know, the United States just eat shit for four years straight, like, I, I, I think they've gotten to the point where it's like, oh, we can we can just be the other great power in the world now. Uh, we don't have to deal with these fucking white devils anymore. <laughs> like, we, we, you know, if they, if they throw shit, we can throw shit back. Um, and there's nothing they can really do about it. Um, so now it's gone to this weird point where but but it's also led to this weird thing where they can't do anything to us either. The United States, like, 
will never really do anything towards China, at least in any serious regard. Um, you know, maybe they'll like fuck around with, uh, you know, like funding the Fulan Gong or some shit, like those weird cult people <laughs> in China. Uh, maybe China might actually like try to, you know, fuck with elections or just say they might fuck with elections just to, like um, basically do a pull a co-intel pro and just like if, if people think you're fucking with them, like they'll like freak out and start acting irrationally. Um you know, like, but at no point could either party really destroy the other because our economies are both so intertwined through uh, trade and, like, financial investments that if China ever, like, you know, fell apart for whatever reason to due to its own internal contradictions, the United States would fucking implode. If the United States ever fell apart because of its own internal contradictions, uh, China would fucking, like, lose its biggest buyer and be like, what the fuck do we do with all this extra product and cause a massive fucking depression? Um, So, like... uh, So it kind of leads to this kind of weird... Almost 1984-esque, like, you you know, China and the United States have always been at war... But the war can never be allowed to end because if it ended, the kind of the the economic order of the world would fall apart and that it would not end well for the for the ruling classes of both countries um, or or even for like, you know, all the tertiary countries <laughs> either because of just the amount of investment and interconnectedness involved. Um, so it's it's a lot of grandstanding. It's a lot of, like, oh, fuck you. The only difference is, like, China's, you know, not taking it as much anymore because they know they have America by the balls just as much as America has them by the balls. Um, so, yeah, it's, ball, it's just a bunch of bullshit. It's, it's Cold War bullshit, except, like, there's less ideological fighting and it's more, you know, like, two playground bullies trying to, like, throw, you know, size each other up. And, you know, the crazy thing is obviously because you, you painted a rather bleak picture of this eternal <laughs> struggle <laughs> in is. which we have to hold up the other person so that we can punch them one more time and so that they can punch me one more time, you know. But uh, obviously cooperation could just, like, eliminate a lot of the bullshit, right? But, um, I mean, let's let's face it. The white people who run this shit aren't the type of people to cooperate. Um, But let me ask you this. So, I get, and I've heard the whole interdependence of America and China, the whole Chimerica thing. But, as I see it, China is in some ways kind of the rush to Africa and working with whomever in Africa, working with whoever in the Caribbean and South America. I feel as though they are um, coming up with contingency plans to let America fall. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, I I, I think that's more of a... I, I think... I think that's more of a 
if anything, it would be a rational thing to do. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to give China shit for that. Like, if I was, if I was, like, you know, a Chinese, uh, you know, international, like, uh, like, like, foreign diplomacy guy, like, I would probably do, I would be like, yeah, we should do that. Just in case, you know, they like to, you know, uh... You know, they, 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 you know, these damn dirty Yankees fucking elected, uh, Donald Trump and like, they almost had a fucking, like they, they had their, uh, capital stormed because of a conspiracy theory that like they made up on their own basically. So I, I don't know if these white people are, 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 are much longer, are much, much long for this world. So maybe we should, you know, like you said, like put some contingencies in the rest of the world just in case. But like in terms of for like, China's foreign policy, they're very much throwing their weight, their like economic weight around because that's really the only thing they can do within the international relations world that's like allowed for the most part. Like m- moving around military weight is something only the United States can still do. China hasn't really been able to do much in that regard outside of their own borders. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if like within a decade or two that starts to change. Um, and they start to, like, basically do what the U.S. does and just, like, does doing, like, unilateral military action. Um, like, and, like, again, the U.S. and Europe won't be able to do much about it because um, the the power will shift even more by then. Uh, but until then, like, you know, economic investment is something everyone's supposed to be allowed to do, you know, because that's, like, you know, that's the whole point of, like, international trade and and the whole economic paradigm is like, oh, people should invest wherever the fuck they want, wherever the fuck they want, and it shouldn't have to deal with much barriers. So what China's basically doing is, like, going around Africa, uh, specifically, they're, they're specifically targeting Africa because of, you know, the resource, you know, it's one big giant resource basin for the rest of the world. Uh, you know, if you've ever talked to any Afro-pessimists, they, they don't really like China all that much better than the United States because they see China as, like, the new kind of imperial overlord the only difference is they're not doing direct control they're basically playing the the neo-colonial aspect where they control africa through its financial institutions um and occasionally you know backing one warlord over another or whatever um rather than like directly controlling um you know entire swaths of of the continent through like protectorates and direct you know, crown colonies or whatever, you know, the, the people's crowns colonies <laughs> or whatever yeah. they would call it. Um, but like probably one of their most famous things is like, you know, doing something the British, you know, the, the, you know, the, 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 the you know, the white colonizers did and they, you know, doing ports and railroads. That's one of their biggest things is uh, to build infrastructure, to take resources out of Africa um, and, you know, very famously, their, their, their ports, uh, when they create these deals with these African countries, uh, if anyone ever really looks into the details, like, they're basically debt traps. They're, you're, they're, they're created in a way where these African countries will never be able to actually pay them off. So either they stay indebted for the rest of their lives, just accumulating interest forever, or... They have to make concessions, like some sort of economic uh, or political concessions, um, which isn't surprising because that's what fucking like the white people did. Uh, but usually the concessions were like, oh, we want like Hong Kong or we like we want the island here or we want this coastline here. We want to create a, we want to own this entire fucking port um, or we want to control this entire city uh, on this on the coastline. Um, it's ours now. Or like you can't prosecute white sailors for like killing somebody or whatever 
Um, for China, it's probably just, you know, again, again, because those, those things I just listed off were like so consciously known by everybody and has such a negative connotation now after the end of like direct imperial control, um, in the sixties and seventies that they, you know, economic control is kind of the, the way of the game now when it comes to empire. Um, and yeah, like, you know, they're. They're building railroads, folks. So that makes that means they're good, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's always a catch, obviously. And oh, yeah. with this a battle between the U.S. and China, it's, it's, it's to me it gets stupider and stupider, and actually a little bit more racist year every year. Yeah, it, it, it very much is. I mean, in terms of like the U.S., like between like. Uh, U.S. views on Asian like Asian people, you know, particularly Chinese, because uh, the Korean, because the South Koreans and Japanese are our friends. Uh, but too bad, Amer- like your average white person could not tell them apart, uh, which ends very badly. Um, but you know, it, it. But also, like in terms of the African continent itself, like it's it's almost a, a tragedy of history where, um, you know, like they, you know, the the they they fight. Uh, very hard to get rid of their, you know, colonial oppressors, and then they just end up, you know, they, they end up with like like that James Connolly uh, quote where it's like, yeah, Britain won't control you, uh, you know, you'll you'll hoist the the green flag over Dublin, but you know, England will still control you through its financial institutions, and through like through the banks and through the corporations, um, and sadly, the same has happened with um, Africa. Except now that it's, you know, it's not the British or the, the Belgians or the French or the Americans, it's the Chinese, you know, but, you know, to, in terms of the end result, it's, you know, new boss, same as the old. And that's yeah. why, like, Afro-pessimism is, is kind of a growing intellectual movement um, when it comes to Africa's relations with the rest of the world. Like, you know, a lot of folks were hoping, like, oh, China, they're, they're supposedly socialists, you know, they... They want to challenge the American hegemony, and they're kind of successfully doing so um, in, ter- in terms of the hegemony part, not not maybe the socialist part. <laughs> um, but the the end result is incredibly similar to uh, what was supposed to be changed. Like things haven't really changed. It, resources are still being extracted. African uh, wealth disparity is fucking huge. If anything, it's getting worse because of climate change, and like uh, everyone else is just you know, taking their bite out of, out of the continent and, and all the people who live there. And it's funny how every, all the African leaders who are like, you know what, let's not do this. How about all of us, all these artificial borders that were created through colonialism? Let's just like, fuck them. We have an open trade zone, but maybe a, a common currency, maybe, Make sure the African Union, it's all of our uh, army. Maybe we become the United States of Africa, Pan-Africanism. Maybe we have all this respect, and then we can just say, then, only then, once we control all our resources, will they fuck us, stop fucking us over? It's funny, those folks who have that idea, how often they get shot in the fucking head. Yeah, it, it doesn't end badly. I mean... The closest to any success was, uh, weirdly enough, Muammar Gaddafi, like, during his yeah. early years. But, like, 
he very quickly learned like oh right oh there's actually a pretty big difference uh between like north african arab states and like sub-saharan africa which is pretty different like a lot like after a certain while it, it stops being muslim and starts being like protestant or catholic or something uh or some other form of christianity because of you know again because of colonialism um and like there are a, a lot of divisions within africa just as much as there's a lot of divisions between asia in, in like asia um and you know Muammar Gaddafi kind of like said well fuck this and then he started working with the CIA and <laughs> basically started like working with the EU to like uh stop migrants like, like stop like uh refugees from crossing the Mediterranean uh and then he got fucking murdered <laughs> and then he got he got caught during the civil war um yeah so like it's 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 a bit of a tragedy uh because like Africa gets all its resources extracted, but China, like, the Chinese workers aren't doing all that much better. <laughs> like, they, like, again, like, China's the, the place known for, like, the suicide nets around factories to catch people from, to stop people from, like, jumping off, jumping out, out of windows because they work, like, 12-hour shifts. Um, it's a place where, like, sexual harassment and, like, sexual assault of, like, employee employees is, like, you know, just as bad as everywhere else because it's a patriarchal society. Um, and there's a lot of very top-down centralized control. So, like, people just protect each other all the time and it's very difficult to speak out. Um, it's It has a lot of the problems that, like, an, indust- an actively industrializing country has, just like the UK or, like, the US or, or continental Europe had during its industrializing period. Uh, you know, shitty work hours, shit pay... Um, you know, wealth disparity is incredibly bad. Um, you know, shit hours, uh, horrible fucking, uh, sexism, like internal colonialism. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it, it, you know, contrary to what I I think some people in, in, on Twitter or whatever believe, you know, China is not that different from everywhere else. They're just, there are some differences is that it's capitalism is a lot more managed, but I think that's being done. That was done because of the way that capitalism was already being, was already developed by then. It wasn't actively growing, um, in, in Europe and America. It was like, you know, like it was before it's, it's something that already existed and they knew what they were looking at and they knew how to guide it, um, consciously, um, through the state. So, I, I don't know. Like it's it's, but again, the the end results in terms of to the Chinese people, um, and to all the ethnic minorities within China, like it's it's not that dissimilar, um, to you know the U.S. or Europe, in terms of like how shitty everything is. Yeah, it's um, there was this quote, and I'm paraphrasing this quote because um. It's one of those that a lot of the details for me just got lost through copious amounts of alcohol <laughs> over the years. Uh, copious amounts. But it was about during the, you know, the Raj in India, there was this like Indian nobleman diplomat, and he was finally getting to go to the core of the empire. He was finally getting to go to London. 
and he was expecting and this is in like the late 19th century Victorian era he's like oh man with all this money and all the wealth that these white people are taking out of India and they're, and they're all over the globe you know Australia and they were in Hawaii for a bit and then they were you name it they touched it Africa you know South well, you know maybe not as much South America but you know the Caribbean you know the, the whole world's economy was flowing into London yeah exactly and um, when he got there he saw squalid people living in squalor it was a complete shit show everything was um, blackened with soot because of the belching of these factories um, babies living in filth noblemen having to wear high heels so that they don't just slip into like the shit that's in the street he was like oh this is a real fucking disgusting place and it shows the rot of a society that has to push and expand its resources ever so further outward to the point where they came from it's just a empty shell of itself and um, obviously we see this in America if anyone's been to the state of Illinois outside of Chicago you would you would know it yeah or like been to West Virginia or like you've ever been to the in, like uh, Inland Valley of California where all the farm workers work and where all the food's made in the country where all the non corn and wheat food is made in the country like it's it's pretty there, there are parts even within the Imperial Corps, uh, there are horrible conditions because the the logic of capitalism, the logic of empire, the logic of states dictates that you must always be exploiting. If you're not exploiting, you're not winning. Um, and you know, as long as there's a buffer class between the between the capitalists and the the poorest of the poor, like you're generally fine. Because like people, I, I see on Twitter like, oh. There's like, you know, the, the growing Chinese middle class. Well, that was kind of a conscious effort after Tiananmen Square where it's like, oh, like, you you know, they're in the protest of Tiananmen Square. It was like they wanted socialism. They wanted like work and control because that was what they were promised. Um, you know, like we're going to go through a bit of a, del- like, a bit of like, you know, capitalist development and then we're going to transition to socialism. Right. And that never happened. Um, so the Chinese Communist Party kind of made a conscious decision that, that, you know, they saw the rest of the world where it's like, you know, at, you know. These empires went through a lot of internal strife, and in order to not fall to, like, socialist revolution, um, uh, they, you know, you know, gave extra, extra scraps to a select few people uh, to form a buffer class. People who do not have the heights of luxury, um, or anything really remotely luxury, but um, have something to lose. They're homeowners. They own their own cars uh, or like they own like multiple cars for their family. Um, they go on vacation every once in a while. They, you know, have you're able to send their kids to university. Um, they are able to, you know, buy a lot more things and they don't have to worry constantly about money. Um, you know, every once in a while they do, but not constantly. They may be able to save up some money. Maybe even if they're, you know, know what they're doing, if they have connections 
uh, in, in the party or in the United States, they have connections with other rich assholes. Uh, you know, they may be able to become, might even be able to join the capitalist class itself. Um, so, you know, that, so they, they created that buffer class. So whenever I see folks say, oh, look, look at, you know, the, the Chinese middle class, it's like, well, that's probably sucks just as much as the American middle class because that's the point of a middle class. It's, it's, it's a buffer class. It's a people you can go to to act as the as the as the toughs when things get bad to defend you, to, like to defend you, because they have shit to lose. <laughs> yeah, the I like to call it the patsy class, because when the shit goes down, they're the patsies. Yeah. So uh, like, so yeah. I mean, like uh, again, like the United States and China are not that different. They're just at different stages of capitalist. On like the capitalist timeline, uh, and w- w- everyone needs to like stop seeing things in terms of ideology because that's not how the U.S. and China see it. The U.S. and China have, for the most part, like ideology isn't the point. It's about pure geopolitics. Um, that's kind of how it's always been in international relations. You know, that's that's you know. Uh, Kissinger is very famous for like say you know his whole real politic where it's like yeah or, or, yeah uh, uh you know when it comes to China like fuck it let's let's work with China against the United against the USSR because you know I don't I don't give a shit if China's communist or or socialist or whatever I don't give a fuck uh, I want to win and have our international policy goals done um, and that's for the most part, kind of been Kissinger's legacy. Uh, and it's something that China and the United States have both adopted wholeheartedly. Uh, they don't give a shit if, like, uh, you know, any of us on Twitter say anything. We don't matter to them. What matters is they want to get us a goal done and they will do whatever the fuck is necessary in spite of any purported ideology. America claims to fucking love freedom and democracy and all that and apple pie and shit. And yet they continue to fucking do horrible things. And China says like, oh, we we, we want to free the international worker or whatever. Uh, but they're fucking like, again, they have suicide nets around their fucking factories. And like they're building treaty ports in fucking Africa. Um, there are basically debt traps to like entrap countries that like basically like to steal away like neo-colonial holdings in Africa from other colonial, like former colonial masters but not freeing them in any real sense. Like ideology means nothing to these to the uh, to the ruling classes of these countries. It it never really has. It's all pure power. Ideology only matters in so much as it as it secures their power. Basically. Well, I have one last question to ask you about this because I think I agree with everything you said the last couple minutes. <laughs> um but uh Here's a question I don't ever hear anyone really ask. What's the end game for this for America? As far as vis-a-vis Chinese relationships. I mean, in terms of the Chinese relationship, it's it will be I think the USSR except with a lot less you know, think think the old Cold War in terms of they're always talking shit everyone's you know pointing out flaws in the other country but there's always willing to ignore their own um 
you know, like, uh, there's always, like, you know, jockeying for position on the international stage and influence in countries. Um, I don't think it's gone, I don't think it's gone to the point where, like, China's, like, backing rebel groups and, you know, fucking Angola or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but, like, it, I won't be surprised if it starts to get there, but it's, unlike the USSR, the economy, like, the economy of the USSR and the, and the East, and, like, the Warsaw Pact was, for the most part, separated from the rest, from the capitalist world, because of the command and the control form of economy that the, that the Marxist-Leninist states operated in. But unlike... But China, unlike, you know, the old USSR and its satellite states, they basically have capitalism for the most part. Like, they, they have capitalism. It's it's guided by the state, but it's capitalism. They have billionaires. They do trade. They, they're connected with the national world to, a de- to such a degree that, like in the beginning of the segment, they can never win. Because if they win, they their economy collapses. It has uh, – and, and, and it's the same for the United States – China basically makes everything <laughs> and make everything. Um, and it is, it, it, it's very much a catch 22 where if you succeed, you lose. If you lose, you keep winning. Um, as long as both of them, as long as both China and the United States, you know, operate on a level of, you know, operate on a level where they hate each other but they're willing to still trade and buy shit uh, from each other it will never really end um, and everyone else is just gonna have to and everyone else in the world is gonna have to suffer for it all the citizens in China and the United States who are, are hyper hyper exploited in, in those countries are gonna have to suffer um, you know any any country that like wants to go the, the way of Egypt in the last Cold War and it's like and and not you know play this, play this game is, is probably gonna suffer um, it's it's gonna suck <laughs> because no one's allowed to win and the, the game has to go on forever it can't but they want to well Byron I think just like the snake that eats its own tail, we came full circle. We came full circle, baby. And eventually there's not enough snake to eat. Holy moly. We come to the end of another episode before it got too hot and heavy. Again, my name is Brandon Peyton Carrillo, and I want to encourage you in... Um, following us on Twitter at movement underscore color and maybe kicking us some funds at our Patreon page, which is um, patreon.com backslash movement of color. Again, my name is Brandon Peyton Carrillo. Until next time, adios. Color.